0: Man, I don't want to follow that. (laughs) Thank you, Daryl, for that word through song this morning. Today we are going to close out our series on the prophet Zephaniah. I was informed that last week I kept saying Zechariah, and I'm going to work on that today and uh, probably fail miserably. But uh, we are actually in the prophet Zephaniah. And we are going to be in the third chapter, and we are going to begin in verse 8, and then read on to the end of the book. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. In Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 8, the Word of the Lord says this, Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up as a witness, indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will give to the people purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve them shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the river of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones will bring my offerings. And that day you will feel no shame because of all of your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud exalting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies. Nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Shout to the Lord, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will feel disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion, do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt you, he will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion, the reproach of exiles a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all of your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth we I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but for me, waiting can be an extremely difficult thing. I am not a good waiter. I'm not a good waiter when it comes to driving around. I am not a good waiter when it comes to uh, hearing back from the doctor or hearing back uh, about the results of who knows what. If you are ever in the car with me as I'm driving through a roundabout here in Elizabethtown, you will learn very quickly, I am not a good waiter. (laughs) That was early, I'll take it. I think all too often, and I bet I'm not alone in this, all too often waiting makes us feel powerless, exposed, vulnerable, out of control, annoyed, angry, and many other things. It's hard to wait. And if you're anything like me, usually I don't wait well and therefore I try to find a way to not wait at all. I'm the type of guy that if I need to make a left hand turn and it's one of those places where there's a lot of traffic coming from both ways and I feel like as soon as the traffic stops coming to my left and then I look to my right and there's a whole bunch of cars coming and then finally when the when I am looking to my right and the cars stop coming to my right, I look to my left and then finally there's a bunch of cars coming that way and eventually I will just take a right because I'd rather be moving in the wrong direction than not moving at all. And to be completely honest, that is probably a pretty good analogy for my life. And that sometimes in order to be moving the right direction, I need to be waiting for the right opportunity, but I decide I would rather move the wrong direction and be moving than wait on the Lord and wait for the right time. As I was thinking about waiting, I was reminded about the the film from 1995 called uh, Braveheart. And if you're a guy in this room, you've surely seen Braveheart and if not, shame on you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm getting amens for all the wrong things this morning. I can tell already. And there's a scene in in the movie Braveheart and and the the Scottish people are about to kind of go toe-to-toe with the British and they're preparing. But they know that if they try to go heads up against the British that they're going to lose because the British have horses. And they have a cavalry and they know that the moment they try to line up against the British that the British are going to bring in their horses and just, just literally trample them and break up their lines and then they'll be able to just defeat them in short order. And that's why the Scottish had never really had any sort of successful resistance against the British. And then the main character of Braveheart, which is a historical figure that has nothing to do with the Mel Gibson portrayal of him, but he comes up with an idea. What if we get spears? What if we make our own lances and we kind of sneak them in there? And then when the horses come, we, we can stick up those lances and maybe we have a fighting chance. And so they, they have their plan and they make these big long poles with spikes on the end and, and because they're not the classic military you know, looking things of the time, they kind of sneak them in and get them into the battlefield and set them up and everything's there. And sure enough, the, the two groups line up and, and they, kinda, they begin the battle and, and here come the cavalry immediately because historically speaking, the British knew that the Scottish would not hold up against their cavalry. And the horses come and they, they start coming and they go faster and faster and faster and faster. And eventually they jump over kind of a little hill and they're right onto the Scottish army. And then suddenly you see William Wallace holding up his sword and he goes, Hold. And the horses are getting closer and closer and he goes, Hold. And the horses are getting closer, and closer. He goes, hold. And by this point, you start to see the faces of all of the other soldiers, all of his friends, and all of the other people going to fight. And you can see the nervousness on their face. And even his closest friend, you see, kind of starting to shift and look over at him. And 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 you and that's what waiting is like, isn't it? That you you're stuck there, and you can see what's coming, and you can see what the things are. And if you're a worrier or you're a fretter, like everybody then you're, you're starting to think about all the things that can go wrong and you're sitting there and you're stuck and you're waiting and you're like ah oh, and all you can hear is hold and you don't want to and then finally at the last second uh william wallace who's mel gibson goes now and they grab it and everything works exactly how they planned but it wouldn't have worked if they hadn't have waited. but waiting is hard And it can be scary. And there can be a huge, huge temptation to take matters into your own hands before it is time. Zephaniah had been speaking to the people of Judah over the previous two chapters. And all he had presented them with was judgment and the wrath of God. But finally, in these last words by the prophet, we begin to see the fullness of God's plan for the people of Judah and indeed for all of Israel. See, in the midst of this revelation, we hear the counsel of God to wait on the Lord. To wait because He is doing something, to wait because He is preparing them, and to wait because rejoicing is on the other side of what they were dealing with at the moment. I think it is good for us to dive into a text like this and maybe perfect for us to dive into a text like this in the middle of everything going on in our world and maybe even the middle of the holiday season that is upon us, that to look at what the prophet Zephaniah is saying to Judah and to maybe think about how God is working in our lives today. The first thing I want you to understand from our passage today is that God has a plan and a purpose regarding the trials and suffering that he's telling them about. See, we have been listening to all of the things that God is going to be doing to the, the kingdom of Judah in light of, of their idolatry and their waywardness and their sinfulness. And, and even when we look at that, it can become very discouraging both to us who are listening to it and I would, could only imagine to the nation of Judah who is receiving these prophetic words. It can be hard for us and Judah both today to see that God is doing something for our good. Because all we're hearing about is suffering and hardship and wrath and and, and just things that, that are seem harmful to us. I think if we were all honest in the room today, we have a hard time seeing and trusting in the goodness of God when we are going through it. And I would also wager that every single person in this room, in one way or another, goes through it. Those hard times, those difficult times, those dark hours. I don't know about you, but it is very discouraging to me to look at things like social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and look at some people's lives and think that their life is perfect that, you know, their turkey was perfectly cooked, everything, everybody was dressed nice and smiling, and and none of them have any problems ever. And sometimes I buy into the lie that other people have a perfect life and I am the one struggling. I don't get an amen for that one, do I? And so it can be hard for me to really, truly believe that the struggles going on in my life are something that God is putting me through for my good. On the contrary, we think that God is angry with us. That for some reason He is against us. Or we think he's indifference towards us, that he doesn't care about us and that we have somehow fallen through the the cracks or that we have been forgotten about by God and therefore the problems of the world just pile up. Or maybe worse yet, we begin to buy into the lie that God can't do anything about our suffering. And that because we live in a sinful and a fallen world that God is powerless, impotent, to do any meaningful thing in our life and often that is the point where we say that we need to do it ourselves. But as we look at our passage today, we realize that nothing could be further from the truth in fact, in reality, God is very much aware of what we are going through and very much aware of what Judah has experienced and is going to experience. And in the midst of all of that, he has a desired outcome for what they are about to endure. We can go over to the New Testament and look at what the author of Hebrews has to say in regards to struggle. In Hebrews 12, 11, we read this. It says, All discipline for the moment seems to not be joyful. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, this sorrowful things that we go through, the pain and the struggles and all those things, we might just look at them as just punishment, pure and simple. That, that, that God is just inflicting pain for the sake of pain. But if you are a parent in the room, and hopefully a good parent in the room, you know that that cannot be further from the truth. That sometimes you put your children through things they don't enjoy because you, are, you have a desired outcome. There is a discipline that you are trying to teach. When you force your kid to put down the video game and to go help you in the yard, when you take away things that are harmful for them, from you have the audacity as a parent to say, No. And your, parents and your kids think you are the worst human being on the planet. The reality is, is you love them, and there's a desired outcome to that no or to that instruction for them to work. And it may seem sorrowful at the time, and yet it is producing something. Did you catch that in verse 11? It says, Hebrews 12:11, that it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That means God is using everything in our lives to make us more like Him. And God is doing something in your life, even through the hard times, even through the difficult times, even through the things that you would much rather not have to endure, but He is doing those things because He is doing a work in you. He is molding you. He is shaping you, and He is making you more like Him. You may ask the question, why? And Hebrews 12, 11 answers, because He loves you. Because He actually cares about you and He cares about you and you and you and you and me. And I know it sounds crazy, but God knows that if we're going to grow into maturity that we cannot be spared the struggle. I'm sure every single one of us Can put a picture in our head of what happens to the child who is never disciplined, who is never taught what it means to work, to struggle, to push through and endure. Often, they don't know what to do when struggle comes. They're quitters. They throw fits. They take things for granted. And make no mistake, not a single one of us in this room is any different. And yes, we would all much rather have the easy road, but we know that the easy road does not produce disciplined people. There's an old saying that is not really biblical, but I think it's an interesting saying and a good saying when it says, still waters never made a seasoned sailor. And I probably butchered that, but just humor me. And what makes you good. What makes you able to endure, what what makes you able and ready and up for and knowledgeable about things is going through the struggles and the challenges. The same is is true for the Christian. We know how to resist temptation because we've endured temptation. We know how to trust in God because there's been times in our lives where our trust has been challenged. And our faith is strengthened when our faith is tested Hebrews 12 reminds us that we go through these things because we are loved not because we are hated or forgotten now you may say to me pastor I have endured it has seemed to never let up I have had a hard life and and, and all of these things have just seemed to pile up on me and I just can't believe That God has a purpose and a plan for this. I just can't believe that there's something good on the other side. I just can't believe that one day this is going to be over because it's all I've known. And I want to encourage you today. Yes, what God is saying to Judah in this passage today is true for you. That God does have a purpose and a plan. There is something on the other side. And I want you to, to just bear with me for a moment and understand this. Purification takes time. And what God is doing in you and through you and in your life is not something that can happen in an instant, and it takes time. And make no mistake, God has used people in fantastic and marvelous ways, but it took a while for them to get there. I want you to look again at verse 9 for just a moment. Look at verse 9, and it says this, He goes, "...for then I will give to the people purified lips." That all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. There's a concept here that that, that Zephaniah is introducing to, to Judah who is about to go through all of these things. And it's the idea of purification. The Lord through the prophet Zephaniah is telling the people that he is going to purify them. And make no mistake, he talks about purified lips because their speech was bad, because they were worshiping false gods and praying to false gods. But we can even go to the New Testament and Jesus says that that which comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. And so if their lips are purified, then make no mistake, their heart has been purified. The prophet Zechariah explains purification in this way. And yes, I said Zechariah, not Zephaniah. I'm not messing it up this time. And he says this, Zechariah says it this way, he says, And I will bring a third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. This is what Zephaniah is talking about here, this idea of purification. And if you know anything about refining gold or silver, of purifying gold and silver, then you probably know that in order to purify metal, especially precious metals, you have to turn up the heat. And you have to melt it down and you have to get it to a place where the, the gold or the silver is melted and the, the slag and the impurities and all of the other things will, will come to the top and you skim those things off. And the more, and when you, you turn up the heat and you purify it, you keep skinning it, skimming off the bad stuff and you keep removing the bad stuff until finally you have the finished product. I'll never forget as a young man, I was going to church at the church that I grew up in and, and the, the pastor told a story. And there was a, a guy who read about this refining silver and gold, and he finally said, you know what, I don't know anything about this, so, but I've got a guy that I know that, is, that works in metal, he works in jewelry, he refines gold and silver, I'm going to go talk to him. And so he goes to this, this metal purifier, this metallurgistic guy, and, and he starts saying, he says, what do you, you, know, what do, you do when you refine silver? And the guy says, well, the first thing we do is we take the silver and whatever kind of else is kind of mixed up in it and, and we put it in this, this, this thing and, and we turn up the heat really hot and we stick it in the fire. And he goes, okay, then what do you do? And he goes, well, once that thing is just white hot, we pull it out and we look at it. And when we look at it, there's going to be all these things on the top that are around the silver that are going to be dark and, and, and ugly and all these things. And now I'm going to take my skimmer and I'm going to skim those off. And then once I've skimmed those off, I'm going to put it back in the fire again. And I'm going to get it hot again. And the the hotter it gets, and I'm going to pull it out again. And there's going to still be more of that stuff. And I'm going to skim that off the top. And he goes, and then I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. And the guy finally said, when do you know that the silver has been purified? That it's ready to go? And he said, oh, that's easy. He goes, okay, what is it? He goes, I know that it's ready when I pull it out and I look at the silver and I see my reflection. And see, that's what God's doing with us. And that's what God was about to do with Judah. God was about to put Judah through this fire, through trials and through through struggles, and he was going to keep doing that until all of the sin and all of the bad things and all of the impurities were finally gone. And when God looked at Judah, he saw his own reflection. And guys, that's what God is doing with us. And yeah, we don't like it, but God is helping us to be more and more like Him, that we are a reflection of Him, and that as a reflection of Him, other people can see Jesus, we'll say specifically, other people can see Jesus in us. I think one of the most exciting things about this particular verse and this particular passage is that it goes beyond just Judah. Is that as he's talking here in the beginning, he is talking about all the nations and all the kingdoms, that he is going to bring all of the people together and that he is going to purify all of them so that they might serve the Lord shoulder to shoulder. I'm reminded of what we read about in Revelation 7, 9, when it says people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be singing before the throne. But brothers and sisters, this takes time. When we think about the time it is going to take, I, I want us to keep in mind what Peter wrote in Second Peter 3, 9. In 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, it says, But the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, one of the most encouraging things, I think, for us as we go through trials, or even as we walk with other people through trials, is the reminder that through all of these trials, God is drawing us and other people closer to Him. And whatever you may be going through, or whatever your friend may be going through, or your family member may be going through, take hope in the fact that it may very well be God drawing them in. First, into a relationship with Jesus through, through repentance, That it's that if they believe and they repent and they turn to Jesus, that they will be saved. And that God is working in people's lives, even people that we haven't met yet, so that they might hear the good news of the Gospel and they might believe. But then also take courage because God is working in our lives. And he is drawing us into a closer and closer and closer relationship with God, an intimacy with God, so that we will be more like him. But God is not slow. He is patient. And he is working in your life and in my life and in the life of everyone beyond this building in the right time, at the right heat, so that they might come to saving faith in Jesus. And this leads us to the end of the book and the call to rejoice. Now this can be really hard for us and as we kind of look at like James chapter 1 when he says consider it pure joy when you face various trials but make no mistake and when all is said and done the end of Zephaniah is telling us to rejoice. The book of Zephaniah closes with one of the most beautiful and encouraging pictures of what the future will hold for those who place their trust in Jesus. It is actually quite ironic that the minor prophet who starts with the harshest words of rebuke also ends with the greatest love, joy, and hope in all of the minor prophets. See, first, God gives the people the hope of a world free from sin and rebellion and shame. Look at the world that God describes in the end of Zephaniah. This is a world where all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will work together, will will worship God shoulder to shoulder. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if they're Palestinian or Israeli. It doesn't matter if they're from the east, the west, the north, the south. It doesn't matter if they come from the University of Louisville or the University of Kentucky that all people will be shoulder to shoulder worshiping God in one accord. Rebellion will be gone. Arrogance will be gone. People will be humble. They will no longer lie. They will no longer live in fear or have anything to be afraid of. Everyone will be safe. They will have their needs met. They will not want for anything. They will not fear the lack of anything. They will be free free from sin, free from death, free to worship God with their whole heart and with their whole soul and with all of their might. This is good news for people who are going through hard times. I want to read to you the fullness of this picture that we find in Revelation 7. And it says this, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white, and palm branches were in their hands, And they were crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on our throne and to the Lamb. This was the picture that Zephaniah was painting for them. It's like, listen, you are going to go through hardship. You are going to go through hard times. Judah will be no more. The temple will be utterly annihilated. But take courage. I am doing a work. And when all is said and done if you will trust in me and you will endure with me and you will trust that I am doing a work, then when all is said and done, you will be at peace. And you will see me face to face. And you will be my people. And I will be your God. The second thing we see from the end of our passage is that God calls them to worship Him in jubilation. Because God still loves them, and he is doing these things for them. Now guys, this, is, this might sound crazy that all this stuff's going on, but, but the very fact that God is sending them a prophet and speaking to them in this moment is a sign of his never-failing, always-enduring, everlasting, unconditional love. And for that reason alone, they should worship. And I want you to think about it this for just a second. If we put this back in the context again, and I know we've done that every week, but it's important. We are, in Judah, Josiah is king, but he's a kid. He hasn't done anything. And for two generations prior, his father, his grandfather, they have been the most sinful people that that they could possibly even conceive of. It was so bad, But if you remember what it said about it in, in like Chronicles and in the book of the Kings was what it said is, is that his grandfather Manasseh and his father were so bad that their behavior was worse than the Canaanites who God had driven out before them back in the days of the Exodus, back in the days of Joshua. That's how sinful, wicked and awful the people were that that when Zephaniah was speaking to them. And yet God still loved them enough to call them to repentance. To give them a picture of a future hope. And to give them the good news that there would come a day when they would be restored and they would be made whole. And even a glimpse of what the world will be like in the new heaven and in the new Jerusalem where they will no longer have even sin to fear. Guys, that's love. And it may not seem like love in the moment. But it is love to be sure. So the God who loves Judah loves you as well. And you may not feel that all the time. But rest assured, you are here now in this room And you are with whoever brought you today because God loves you. I have a very clear memory of sitting with a friend of mine. And it was Christmas Day. And he was in the hospital because he had tried to take his own life a couple days prior. And as we were sitting and we were talking and and I really wanted to be with him on that day because I just couldn't bear the idea of my, my best friend growing up. Uh, being in the hospital on Christmas Day and we were talking and he said, Man, and and you know, conversation turned to God, not that I was living with for the Lord like I should have been, but I think I, I was more so at that point. And we were talking and he says, Man, I don't think, I don't think God cares about me at all anymore. And I said, I, I said, I know he does. I said, I know for a fact that God still cares a great deal about you and he hasn't given up on you. And he said, how could you possibly know that? And I said, because I'm here right now. And if God had given up on you, he would not put people in your life that know him and love him and know you and love you. So I know God has not given up on you and I know God still loves you. And I know God still has a purpose and still has a plan for your life and you need to come back to him. And I believe that when I was talking with my friend 20 years ago. And I believe that for you right now. If you're in this room today, I want you to know that God loves you. And that he has put you in this room today and he has put you with the people that you're with today because he loves you. and Because he wants you to know that he is doing something in your life. And that you can have hope. And that there is a future for you. And that God is calling you back into a relationship with him today. You may say to me, Pastor, you have no idea what I have done. You have no idea how far I've gone. You have no idea how wayward I've been. You have no idea the thoughts that have been in my head. You have no idea what I've been through. How could you possibly say that God still loves me and God still wants a relationship with me? And all I would say is go to the beginning of the book. Look at where Zephaniah started. Look at who Judah was when Zephaniah began addressing them. They could not have had more disregard for God. They could not have been living more sinful lives. The Lord was not praising Judah at the beginning of the book. He was chastising them for the sin in their life that had become so permeated in the culture that you couldn't even figure out who were the good people. See, God's love is not based on your past behavior. God does not love you because of what you've done or what you've failed to do, but God loves you because you belong to Him. Because He made you and He knows you. And in fact, the scriptures say that He knows the very number of hairs on your head, and no bald jokes at this point. He knows you, He knew you before you were born. He knows what makes you you. He knows what makes what, what causes you to struggle. He knows the idols that are in your heart even right now. And He loves you anyways. And He desires a relationship with you. And everything going on in our lives is just ways that God is drawing us into a closer relationship with Him. I want to close with a one more passage that I think really communicates well the love of God. In John 3, 1, it says this, for how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that he would call us children of God. And such we are. See, God loves you. And you may be going through hard times. And you may not see the end of those hard times and they may be the worst thing you could ever possibly think you could endure. But even in the midst of the darkest times, God is reminding us that there is something on the other side. That there's hope. That there's a future. That there's forgiveness. That there's peace. Peace. And so we endure. And we trust him every step of the way. And we get rid of the things that do not reflect him. We repent. And we trust him. And he will see us through. If you are with us today. And you have not given your life to Jesus. If you have not come to saving faith through Christ. And I truly, truly, truly believe. That if Zephaniah was pointing the people towards anything, he was pointing them to Jesus and the steadfast love that we have through a relationship with Christ. If you've not done that yet, if you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do so today. I'm going to come up front. You can come talk to me as we sing our last song. As I mentioned earlier, you may have come with somebody that someone can share with you who Jesus is. I have confidence in that but recognize this, that the hope and the future and the glory and the peace and the security that we hear about in Zephaniah that we have through Christ Jesus. And I would challenge you, do not go one more day without placing your hope and trust in him. Let us pray. My God, my exceeding joy, Lord, you are our victorious warrior. Lord, you are the one who loves us and who calls us the very apple of your eye. God, you are also the one who refines us and purifies us and works in our lives sometimes in ways that are not pleasant. And God, I believe with every fiber of my being that there are, are people in this room right now who are struggling who are going through hard times, who are experiencing that heat that comes with purification. And and as the author of Hebrews says, it is not joyful, but it is sorrowful. And God, they don't know where the end is and they don't know how they're going to endure and they don't think they have any strength left. And God, I pray that in this moment, your spirit would just well up inside them. God, that you would give them hope and peace, Lord, that you would remind them that that no matter what they are going through, that you have not relinquished your throne, and that you are sovereign, and God, that you are working all things together for good for those who love you and those who are called according to your purpose. And God, with that in mind, Lord, I pray with every fiber of my being that, that we would trust you in the hard times. God, that we would recognize that you are doing a work and that in our trusting of you that we would, we would come to you, that we would come to you in, in repentance, that we would come to you in thanksgiving, Lord, that we would come to you in joy knowing that you have not abandoned us. And God, if there is anyone in this room that, that has been going through it, that has been struggling and they are still without a relationship with you, God, it is my hope and my prayer that they would recognize that you are drawing them to yourself that you are calling them into that relationship. And Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would cease trying to get through life by their own strength and by their own ability. And Lord, that they would cry out to you in saving faith. And God, that you would give them a hope and a future. That you would give them the promise of peace everlasting. God, we thank you for the promises of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we praise your holy name as the one who never leaves us and never forsakes us and always sees us through. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.